Proverbs 14:27 says, "The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death." That is Oliver Anthony. He took the nation by storm last week with his simple song, Rich Men from Richmond. He's a humble man, got a good story, got a good um, good testimony. Did not expect to make the waves or the news or the significant impact, though he did. I believe the most important thing that's going on right now is that this song, in my opinion, and the reason why I want to talk about this today, is that our culture now has permission to cry. Our culture now has permission to cry unto the Lord. America is a proud nation, a materialist nation, a nation of sexual depravity, a nation that has, in my view, for decades, looked away and fallen away from God. And I believe because God is good and he's slow to anger, but he's also faithful to the uh, to the promises and the faith and the love of our founders. He wanted, God wanted this nation, he wants all nations to come to him, Matthew 28. But because we have so long spat in his face and gone against what he's wanted to do, now we are feeling the wrath. And this wrath is different than just stuff sucks. It's different than just, I lost my job. It's different than just, my guy didn't get elected into office. What we're going through right now is spiritual. Not to say that it hasn't been spiritual before. But if you haven't the eyes or the ears to see or hear what the world has been going through for the last couple of years, you are still, as they say, asleep. This song, I believe, places the focus squarely on calling out to the Lord. And I believe that most people that are looking at this song, it's clearly struck a chord. It's clearly hit a nerve. But the nerve that's been hit is not the fact that the white man has been oppressed. It's not the fact that people are poor. It's not the fact that there is bad things that are going on. That's always been the case. The multiple levels to hear. The man's voice is phenomenal. His stature is exactly iconic. The type of seismic simplicity that you would find in profundity that isn't predictable. The dude took the nation, the world, by storm with a banjo guitar, a couple microphones, his dog, in the woods. There's power behind what he's doing. And what he's doing is not complaining. He's lamenting. The man is in sorrow. The man is not just saying things are bad. The man is calling out to the Lord saying, This is a shame how far we've come, how bad things have gotten. This is a horrible, wretched shame. He's angry because the stuff in his life has been destroyed. He recognizes it's been done by a lot of rich men north of Richmond. He recognizes that there are people that are outside of his control that are doing stuff to him and making his life worse. He fully recognizes that. But he begins the song by saying that he's been selling his soul. And that's the type of repentance that I believe is required. That's the type of recognition. It's the self-recognition, the self-awareness that at first he has done something wrong. 
He's been slaving away in a system and he's been exchanging the soul, the life that God gave him in exchange for what he thinks he needs, what he, what he wants. And now he's becoming more aware of the p- fact that people are doing this to him. The reason why I love this song and I've listened to this song dozens of times over the last few days. I almost did a ad hoc stream on Saturday because of the power of this song. This song's power is in its sorrow. It's not in the economic message. It's not in the political oppression. It's not in the fact that there is a rich men north of Richmond cabal in charge of things, orchestrating affairs of the world. That's not the power. And I believe that most conservatives, most political pundits, most people talking about this song will completely miss the issue. The reason why this resounds with so many people is that everybody in this nation, I believe, knows that things aren't right. I think that some have the incentive to not be honest, clearly. They clearly don't have the morals to have the integrity to be honest, but I think most people would recognize things aren't right. And if they're not recognizing things are right, what's the difference between complaining and lamenting, being sorrowful to the Lord and just saying stuff sucks. I I absolutely, absolutely uh, love what God is doing. Oliver Anthony played a gig on yesterday in North Carolina where he had a large crowd and this is what he did before he spoke. Or before he played, he did this. Watch this. Uh, it's crazy to me because uh, I remember back in June I played here for about 20 people and uh, but that's that's the beautiful part of this country though is even an idiot like me can make something happen so if I can do it you can do it before we start singing and I mean we because I hope y'all are going to be singing too I just had something I, I felt compelled to share with you. This is in uh, Psalm, Psalm 37, 12 through 20. The wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them, but the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he knows their day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend the bow to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose ways are upright. But their swords will pierce their own hearts, and their bows will be broken. Better the little that have righteousness than the wealth of many wicked. For the power of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The blameless spend their days under the Lord's care, and their inheritance will endure forever. In times of disaster, they will not wither. In days of famine, they will have plenty but the wicked will perish. Though the Lord's enemies are like the flowers of the field, they will be consumed and they will go up in smoke. God wants justice more than you. He read an imprecatory psalm, which is a psalm of worship 
calling down fire and torment and curse and, and wrath on God's enemies. God wants justice more than you do. He wants justice more than everybody in all creation for all eternity past or all eternity future combined. But he wants it in a certain way. You go back to Moses in the burning bush, Exodus chapter 3. We look here, Exodus chapter 3, 5 through 10. And he said, Draw nigh hither. Don't come near me. Put off thy shoes on thy feet, for the place where thy standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Remember the verse of the day, Proverbs 14, 27. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. Verse 7. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. God sees when you are in trouble. He sees when you are oppressed. Which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows. God knows your sorrows. He hears your cry. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of the land unto a good land, and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I also have seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children, of, uh, children out of Egypt. A couple things. God hears your cries. God answers your cries. He does it in a way that you don't expect it. And while people are crying out to him, God is already moving someone to take care of it. God is already doing stuff to solve stuff. And of course, the ten plagues in Egypt. God didn't just deliver his people. He hardened his enemy's heart, Pharaoh, so that he could grind all Egyptian gods to dust and leave no doubt that he was God and none of the other gods even existed or had power. So get this. God is going to hear your cry to sorrow if you're complaining about how stuff sucks. That is not the same as crying out unto the Lord saying, help me. I'm being oppressed. I'm in danger. I'm fleeing for my life. I'm surrounded by enemies. I don't know what to do. Oliver Anthony, the singer of this song, Rich Men North of Richmond, I believe gave America's culture permission to lament. Lord willing, my prayer is that that is sufficient pattern interruption to take our eyes off of politics, to take our eyes off of headlines, to take our eyes off of just the normal complaining. You may listen to people on the internet, Lord willing, thank you for paying attention to me, but I am just a dude in a box on the internet. Do not suffice my words as your words sufficient unto the Lord. Cry out to the Lord. Have sorrow to the Lord. Give him your issues, all of them, and be unbridled. I had someone say, Jaron, I love this man's message, but he uses curse words. God bless you. God bless you. When I cry out unto the Lord, I'm not speaking like, uh, like I'm on a church pew. I'm not speaking like I'm a well-behaved, uh, everything is perfect, Every like the bows are in perfect sequence and everything's matched. I'm not speaking as though my life makes sense. 
I'm speaking as though he did this to me. I'm mad at this. I want this to die. I want this person to go to hell. I want all of these things to be destroyed. I unload. I absolutely unload. He can handle it. And most times, whenever I do that, I learn real fast, I'm speaking to the Creator. And I need to get my face in the dirt. And I repent of that. But I let that out so that He can then show me, Jaron, you are way outside your bounds, bro. Like He did Job in Job 38. Who are you? Gird yourself like a man. Prepare to answer. Prepare to give me an answer. Just because bad things are happening here doesn't mean that God's not, one, using them, but two, doesn't mean that whenever he you cry out to him, he's not moving already. He's not doing stuff. The next thing I want to point out, and, and this is, don't let, me, don't let me lose you here. Don't let me lose you here because there's some people that will look at the way of this world and they'll think that it is way too far gone. It's too far gone. We can't do anything about it. I want to introduce you to a guy named Manasseh. He's a king in Israel. Just read 2 Chronicles 33. But this dude was evil. He did evil in the sight of the Lord like unto the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. This dude did horrible things. He raised up altars to Balaam. He made the groves, which is like the nature worship. This is the this is the, uh, the, the, the Nimrod type of stuff. Like this dude was evil. And he caused his children to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. You know what that means? It means, and the, 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 the details are scant, but it's the idea that you sacrifice your children. You put them on the burning altar of Moloch, such that as the fires are searing hot of the metal, the metal destroys them and the babies themselves roll voluntarily over into the fire. That's what that means. You sacrifice your children like abortion so that you can get favorable treatment from the gods and the demons. That's what this did, dude did. This was a king of Israel, and he did this. Now get down to this. Wherefore the Lord brought to them captains of the host of the king of Assyria. God brought the enemy. God brought Israel's enemy. He brought the Assyrians. These dudes carved people up, skinned them, and wore people's skin suits. These dudes were vicious. And God brought them upon his people because his people were led by folks that weren't honoring him, that were worshiping other gods, that were sacrificing their children, that were doing horrible things. Which took Manasseh among the thorns and bound him with fetters and carried him to Babylon. And when he, uh, uh, Manasseh, was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the Lord of his, Lord, before the God of his fathers. And Manasseh, the dude that sacrificed his kids, the dude that taught his entire nation how to worship other gods, the guy that was a horrible king, he prayed unto God and he was entreated of him. And God heard his supplication. God heard his prayer. This is a bad dude. And brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. God took him back home, restored him to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. When you fall on your face and you cry out to the God, when you are sorrowful, when you lament, God hears you. I believe America hasn't lamented. I don't believe, and don't get me wrong, some people have, many people have, but on a cultural level, this type of message has not pierced through. The piercing through, like what's been going on is the tribal dynamics. This is where the Hegel's dialectic is so powerful. 
It's the right, it's the left, it's the conservative, it's the liberal. That dialectic is a barrier to godly repentance, godly sorrow, and crying out for people to give their 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 oppressions, their, their everything else to the Lord. And then here comes this song. You have this song coming along. The dude 30 days ago was about to kill himself. Over the past couple of years, he was drug addicted. He's poor. He goes to the Lord in prayer. He says, I'm giving everything to you. He's a former agnostic insulting God. Former insulter of God. God mocker comes to God in his despair about to kill himself and prays out if you, you know, this is for you. Everything I do for you. And look at this. This is how God works. You got the children in Egypt crying out. And God is over here in the wilderness raising up Moses to come with a stick and his brother to bring these plagues that will destroy and prove that all the fake false Egyptian gods are fake. And then all the Israel, all the Hebrews, that whenever they leave Egypt, they'll have an abundance of stuff. Like... Uh, you know, of cattle, of gold, of all sorts of things. And the Egyptians will give it to them because they will know that the Hebrews are God's people. <laughs> like, this is how God does stuff. And I don't think that we think like this. The last Bible verse we'll talk about is Luke 15, 7. This is Jesus talking. I say unto you that likewise joy in heaven shall be over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. One of the problems in our nation is we portray ourselves with this picture-perfect Christianity. And over the last few decades, when the moral majority of the 80s got involved in politics, the moral majority of the 80s was trying to use government to compel people to morally obey and be Christ-like. And I don't think that's the case. We can get into Christian nationalism, because I believe in Christian nationalism. I am. But that doesn't mean the state compels morality. You can't compel Christ. Christ compels you. So when you are a Christian involved in politics, you're not trying to use the powers of the state to compel people to obey your morality. What you're doing is you're using the justness, the truth, the, uh, the law that comes from Christian worldview. Thank you, Constitutional Republic. Thank you, Founding Fathers. Thank you, Common Law. You have the government become equitable, just, and have a good law, which is what we have in this nation. But for decades, we have been trying to holier-than-thou ourselves into a better position, and that's just not the case. We've made politics and, and government into a god, and now that's the idol that has to be destroyed. Has to be. I pray for Oliver Anthony. He sat after his show, like he promised, for hours, waiting to sign autographs of anyone and any, of any and everyone who would stay there. God bless this man. I believe that this is his song gives America cultural permission to lament. I've never seen anything like it. It's a folk song, so it strikes that tone that is historical throughout America. He's from Appalachia, which are one of the most oppressed and historically persecuted people in this nation. Resourceful, resilient, rugged, religious, faithful, resolute. So it makes sense that it would come from someone like that. It makes sense that it would come from someone who is about to kill himself. It would make sense that it would be so profound in its simplicity. 
It's amazing. It's amazing. We're on offense, folks. We are on offense because we are on our face crying out to God. Finally. Finally. I want to introduce a meme that I saw. It's called the Agent Smith Effect. And it says this. In the movie The Matrix, Agent Smith has the ability to enter any body at any time. And that often happens when the Matrix is threatened by Neo. This scenario is a reflection of our real world. For example, you're having a conversation with a friend and everything is fine until you mention something like, quote, 9-11 was an inside job. Now watch what happens. Up pops Agent Smith to replace the person you were just having a conversation with to attack you because all truths threaten the Matrix. Most people have had the Agent Smith Matrix programming since birth. These programmed people become the guardians of the Matrix, protectors of the code, the, the police of mind control, and enforcers of the indoctrination which holds together our false concept of reality like superglue. And then it goes on, the, the commenter goes on to say, you know, don't be Agent Smith, be Neo. This is where I want to say that I reject the Gnostic Buddhist principles, the New Age concepts that the Matrix is clearly built on. The red pill, blue pill, you must walk through the door, uh, hidden knowledge, free yourself, prison pr planet, those types of things. So I completely reject the Buddhist Gnostic New Age presuppositions. Okay? But let's go with this idea of presupposition. Let's go with this idea that your bias, your filter, your worldview drives everything, determines everything. And I'd like to walk this, if I may, through our political landscape. And I'm going to do something that if you are a normal audience member, thank you, but if you're someone who normally pays attention and watches what I do, you'll agree with me. And then we're going to get into something where I might step on your toes. So I want to escalate into the Agent Smith to see if we can't identify what is bringing it out of people when they see stuff that they disagree with. The first thing that I'll do is I'll talk about President Trump saying he's not going to take any plea deal. See if you can identify the Agent Smith. See if you can identify the uh, Matrix programming. Go ahead. Yes, you take a plea deal. In Georgia? We did nothing wrong. We don't ever take yes, a plea sir. deal. Yes, sir. We don't take plea deals. It's a wise guy question. Are you going to change it? a wise guy. Are you we don't take plea deals because I did nothing wrong. It's called election interference. You know what that is? Because this is, these indictments are brought out by Biden, who can't even put two sentences together. This is Joe Biden, because he can't win the election by himself. He can't win the election based on votes. So what they did is they got the Attorney General to do it. And then you see how stupid they acted yesterday with the appointment of the Special Counsel. Call it Special Counsel. And what a crazy thing that was. Yeah, um, so comp competing different views here. There's Trump and anti-Trump. And that's not the frame that I want to use. The frame I want to use is, what's the law? This is a secret that most people won't understand. Judges... All government is political. It's all political. Which means every person who's in government cares, ultimately, about what the people think. This is why narratives are so powerful. Narratives are so powerful because based on what the people believe, gets what the people behave. And right now, with Trump saying, I'm not going to take any plea deal, he's 
rejecting the premise that the crimes and the indictments against him are legitimate. And by counter-signaling with no plea deal, he is ratcheting up the political pressure on the government. Because people who look at Trump aren't just seeing Trump, they're seeing tens of millions of people who agree with Trump. And if you're in government, and you recognize that there's tens of millions of people that generally believe what this one guy says, you will tread lightly. Especially because no one knows who the prosecutors are. No one knows who these government officials are. Now, of course, I'm alluding to the fact that there's partiality in government. Absolutely. I'm also specifically implying that there's partiality in our justice system. Because if you're the judge looking at Trump and there's ten, tens of millions of people behind him and no one knows who Jack Smith is or Letitia James or whoever these other godless commies are, there is more pressure for you to give deference to Trump than there is anybody else. Now, of course, right here, if you're generally one of Jaron's audience people, you'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. If you're not, you're going to be like, well, DeSantis is so much better because he's a conservative and he saved Florida. Or you're going to be a godless commie and you're going to be straight up like Trump was evil and he's antichrist and he's going to take over the world. And like, so, so the agent, the obvious agent Smiths of against Trump are already popping up. But with, with the, my Trump people, they're like, yeah, of course this makes sense. He's saying that, but that's why he's counter signaling. He's counter signaling because he's putting all of that cultural, social, political pressure on the system. He's putting it back on the judges and that's what makes him so powerful. Let's escalate. This next one is Ron DeSantis. And I've gotten some pushback from people who are like, Jaron, you said good things about DeSantis and why are you against him now? I did say good things about DeSantis because I think he did a good job as Florida governor. I am against him for president in 2024 because I'm for President Trump. I'm also against DeSantis because I think that he didn't make the decision to run for, uh, for president. I think somebody else made the decision for him. And because I believe that, the money, I believe that he was propositioned. You run for president now, or you don't get the money to support you in 2028. I mean, at some point, the, the money and the power that gets you into the office, whoever you think is in control is the one that you're going to let in your ears. That's the, that's the voice you're going to hear more. And so I believe that there's plenty of strong voices against Trump motivating and influencing and buying DeSantis to get in the race. Not to take away from him as governor. I don't agree with everything he did was governor. I mean, the dude signed an anti-free uh, speech bill in Israel. Like, come on. Like, that, that, that doesn't even make sense. That's unconstitutional. But here you have DeSantis getting triggered, or uh, Trump fans are triggering the questioner of DeSantis. Watch this. Ladies and gentlemen of the Iowa State Fair, let's welcome Governor Kim Reynolds and Governor Ron DeSantis. Driving down the street today, I saw a sign for lemonade. They were the cutest kids I'd ever seen. They're hanging in there with us. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you being here. 
as we have the opportunity. Well, first of all, welcome back to State Fair, Ron. It's great to have you here, so welcome back. No, it's great to be here. We're really excited to see everybody. We appreciate uh, how nice everybody is. Um, great to be in the Midwest. I tell people, normally when I want to do Midwestern nice, I just go to, go to Fort Myers in January, and I have half the Midwest there. Uh, but we love everybody that comes down to Florida, but particularly Southwest Florida from Iowa and other parts. Thank you. Well, listen, good friend, former colleague, governor uh, from Florida, and uh, so I appreciate that and appreciate the friendly competition. So Ron's uh, out there uh, doing the 99-county tour. Uh, I think you may be ahead of me. Hey, you know what? You know what? We're in Iowa, and in Iowa, we're Iowa nice. So let's give everybody the opportunity to hear our candidates. So we'll stop. We'll stop until you do, but we're all gonna have an opportunity to hear from each and every candidate. That's what we've been doing. So, okay. Hey, you know what? <laughs> so it's the heckler's veto. It's a bunch of Trump people going, we want Trump, which, uh, you know, this is public. This is politics. It's a blood sport. This, this is absolutely open, fair game. This is pure unbridled American politics in action and you've got all the Trump people going we want Trump <laughs> I think it's funny uh, you know the heckler's veto is is it's a real thing you know a bunch of people shouting down the speaker and so it's it's not comfortable for the people that are there in attendance but you know if you're at the Iowa State Fair I mean that that is one of the most public of public places you could ever get um, and so I think that's funny, but she said, you know, the, the, these godless commies and I'll call her godless commie. I don't know who she is. It's this streak. It's this notion that what she's doing is a godless commie idea. And that is restricting the speech of others based on a presumed morality that the interest of the speaker doesn't have. And by telling them you have to obey thus and such, you're now, those are where the two rights are coming into collision. You've got the moral position of we're Iowa nice versus the we want Trump. Now flip this and include an LGBT speaker or a satanic speaker or a you know someone that I would completely just completely dis dis um, disagree with in every regard. Those are two competing public rights: the public right to free speech, we want Trump, and the public right to listen to the you know audience member or the the people interviewed Ron DeSantis. This is where America is colliding. This is where the tension is. But what's interesting there is that her appeal to the morality. We are in Iowa nice. I believe that that's how conservatives have been bridled. I believe that that's the bit. I believe that's the bit of the modern church. I believe that that's the bit of political conservatives. That is the bridle that's been controlling the vast majority of this nation is be nice, be nice. I mean, there there is people like I I I I don't take the 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 race bait. There are people absolutely gunning against white people because they're telling everybody else that white people are colonizers, that we're all slave owners, that we all have this um, what's it called this benefit, and it's it's this idea of of weaponizing everyone against white people that white people who have white skin don't think of white people because we have our our own problems and we do our own things 
And I'm not of the mind that says, okay, you're black and you're yellow and you're red and I'm white, therefore I'm the most powerful. And the people that would disagree with me right now are exactly the types of people that would say, well, you don't see that because you're white. Okay, throw it back. Does that justify identifying me as white as the object of violence and evil? Am I the tyrant because I don't think like you? Or are you the tyrant because your violent presuppositions are adversarially dispossessing me of what I have by right and effort? Because if that's the case, my pushback, my my fighting back is no longer... Um, that's, that's me using and exercising my rights and not just me being a racist or some kind of intolerant person. So it's this idea that whenever you have two public rights coming against each other, two narratives, up pops the Agent Smith. What's the Agent Smith? Well, you know, we are we are nice and we do need to be respectful. Well, why would you be respectful to someone who's, uh, you know, who you politically disagree with in a public space? What what uh what uh what argument do they have? What's the argument there? It's it's a it is a interesting position because. At some point, here's the analysis, at some point, DeSantis is going to have to go against Trump. Like, he's going to have to go for his jugular. He's, uh, metaphorically, politically speaking, I don't advocate violence. But if he's if he, he's going to have to go against him, he's going to have to throw off the nice guy approach because it's killing him politically. And, and, like, that's the idea. The idea is that Agent Smith, in this case, is politicians are supposed to be nice and everyone's, hi, how you doing? Hi, hi. Like, that. that's the Agent Smith. That's the curated. That I mean, that's how they controlled the moral majority. That's how they've controlled the boomers. That's how they've controlled the older generations is this niceness. The niceness is now the bridle. It's it's the thing that controls people. And now that America, you know, you've got the rich men from north of Richmond. This is, is, is trending everywhere because that song ain't nice. It's calling out unto the Lord the sorrows and the oppressions of the things that are going on. And the people that are saying, oh, we're, we're, we're nice. We're going to listen. You are a godless commie. You might have a relationship with Jesus. You might be a member of the church. You might be going to heaven. But your notion is not right. Because what you're trying to do is you're trying to stifle the speech. You're trying to stifle what other people are doing by calling them to be nice and civil. If they are in public and they're exercising their public right and you have a public right, that's freedom and it's messy. Don't do your stuff in public. Go into the private. And when you're in the private, you're afforded all the protections and the government has to defend you. But it's this Agent Smith of, well, let's be nice. Well, I mean, okay. But, like, nice doesn't mean that I'm going to be quiet. <laughs> nice doesn't mean I'm going to be quiet. Now, this is where I really started to see this. This is also at the uh, Iowa State Fair. This is uh, Nikki Haley talking about how she's minority first. Watch this. This right here should be Agent Smithing all over the place. Watch this. Minority. I am a minority first. So I think I'm as diverse as it gets, but I think minorities are smart. Minorities don't vote for people because of the color of their skin. They vote for people because they're going to lift them up, because they're going to take care of them and not take care of just a select few. That's what minorities want. That's how I won them in South Carolina. That's how I won them in This is typical conservative claptrap mantra garbage straight from the cow's rear. 
I'm I'm a minority. It's this this precious minorities. We we have to cobble together this electorate from the brown people, the black people, the white people. The we got to get all these people. You are a black female who lives in urban. So I'm going to bring you watermelon. I'm going to bring you a basketball, and I'm going to say, mm-hmm. Can you vote for me? You are a white farmer. I'm going to bring you a pick. I'm going to bring you a, a an axe. Here's my John Deere tractor. Here's my straw hat. I reckon we like guns, right? Like it's this it's this stupid plane to these stereotypes and Nikki Haley having been governor I don't know if the uh, votes were fair or not but that woman took down the stars and bars over the Capitol building because she got pressure from LGBTQ anti-America haters people who are against the history of South Carolina pressured her into making a position where she would deny the history of the nation so that she could be politically politically opportune and the only reason that she's relevant was because Trump gave her the nod to go be Secretary of State, probably because he wanted to placate somebody else. And this is where Trump is not perfect. He makes horrible, horrible personnel decisions. <laughs> horrible personnel decisions. But here she is. I'm a minority first. And she goes, I'm about as diverse as they can get while spouting off stupid boomer bait conservative talking points. And I don't mean that to insult the boomers. I mean that this is the programming that has been coming in our eyes and in our ears for decades. We gotta be respectful of the minorities. Why? Because you're afraid to be called a racist. That's why. Because you're ultimately not gonna preach the gospel and point out that the Marxist presuppositions that denies the biblical frame, which is everyone's made in God's image, and God gives them dominion over the uh, birds of the air, the fish of the sea, the creeping, crawling things of the ground, and tells them to go be fruitful and multiply. And God did not give man dominion over man. Instead of demanding that biblical presupposition of God's uh, command for people, all people, what you've done is you've now exchanged your footing, the foundation of your knowledge, from rock, the Bible, to sand, this Marxist presupposition that black people are closely descended from monkeys, which is what Darwinism was all about. Darwin, Marx, they were homies, they were contemporaries, and you've, you've shifted your knowledge, and now that's manifested itself to where whenever there's a woman of Indian descent, because her name is Nimrata, not Nikki, when there's a woman of Indian descent in the conservative party, she's now saying, look how diverse I am, while spouting off the stupid talking points of what was the Democrat party 10 years ago, and now is the Republican party. This is just stupid. And it's because people aren't grounded to the rock of salvation because they don't read their Bibles and they're not willing to preach the truth against these evils. They don't have the foundation of their knowledge to destroy the foundation of the godless. And as a result of this, people are they are compelled to agree because they don't want to be canceled. Don't call me racist. Don't call me an anti-Semite. Don't call me these things to cancel me. Oh no, not canceled. And this is how they control. Oh, let's just be nice. Let's just be nice. Let's all be nice. Let's be civil. Everyone needs to be civil. Be civil, you. Or I'll cancel you. Take away your job. End your ability to do banking. And I might throw you in the jail after I welcome you into the doors that were previously magnetically sealed by the DC cop on January 6th as part of a federal false flag operation. Ha ha! It's because people give up their knowledge and they fear government as an idol more than they do God. And as a result of this, 
people are cattle guarded. They're sluice gated. It's like a slaughterhouse. You are led by your emotion to supporting the candidates and the people running for office, which are really applying to be your servant. If someone's running for public office, they're applying to be your servant to work for you. But we don't look at it like that. We look at it as this person is running for high office so that they can have power, so that they can force our worldview down the drain and and, and force the culture to reflect the things that I want. This is idolatry. It's idolatry. Because if the candidates, saying the emotion-laden, Hegelian dialectic, Marxist-infused, Darwinian presupposed conclusions of, I'm a minority, look how diverse I am, then people that give up their knowledge, instead of grounding it in the Bible, they give it up to these godless talking points because of the precious moderates, the precious independents, and the, the precious minorities. They give their thinking away from what the law is to this patchwork mosaic of, okay, you got to get the gays, you got to get the blacks, you got to get these whites, you got to get the evangelicals, you got to get the Southern Baptist, you got to get all, you got to cobble together. And so what you do is you get candidates that are nothing more than robots with their consultants telling them what to do. And they say 15% of the time you need the black woman vote. And so there it is, 85% of the time the candidate's talking about normal stuff and all of a sudden it'll just click in, downshift. Mm Mm-hmm, I was going to the club the other day and I was up in there chilling with bottles of 40 getting shot in the hood and i recognize my baby needed more food stamps it's like come on it's like you're 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 designing your message you're tailoring your message based on stereotypes you have of people instead of the truth instead of the law instead of what is true which i just i completely hate completely hate which brings me to election integrity now, I will pull, I'll play this video from 2008 just to kind of prime you, just to prime you. This is Obama. Watch this. I would just like to know what you can say to reassure us that this election will not be rigged or stolen. Well, well I tell you what, it, it helps in Ohio that we got uh, Democrats in charge of the machines. Um, but, but look, I come from Chicago, so, so I want to be honest, it's not as if it's just Republicans who have monkeyed around with elections in the past, sometimes Democrats have to. You know, whenever people are in power, they're, you know, they have this tendency to try to, you know, tilt things in their direction. So there's people in charge of machines and they've been in charge of machines for a while, which really gets at what do elections look like, which really gets at what are elections. And that really gets at who has the political power. See right now, people will talk about the machines. They'll talk about a certain, uh, a certain political event, the elections, and they won't actually investigate the power that comes from that because all political powers in the people, if people makes the government, and the government then defines and grants power to various uh, you know, avenues, nothing can happen if it hasn't been granted. So if the people have political events called elections where the, pre- where the predicate of the election is the choice, 
The people are the ones that are choosing, not the legislature, not the governor, not the county election board, not the sheriff, not the judge, not the not the nothing. The people are choosing. So the ones with choice are the one, the choice presupposes the authority to use the choice. So if the people have the power, they have all the political power, the people's choice, therefore the elections are events that belong to the people. So if you're talking about election machines, you've given up the fact that elections belong to people. You now believe that elections are events controlled by the government. You see the difference of the frame? You see, the difference is, on one hand, if there's elections and machines and we have to figure out the statutes and the, the regulations and the laws and the things, you are now saying government is in charge of elections. That's one view. I argue that's the bad view. That's the unlawful view. That's the unconstitutional view. On the other hand, there is the idea that people with all political power granted government the power to run their elections lawfully, fairly, to be aware of the fraud, to be aware of any irregularities, to be able to validate, verify, and do audits and all these things. And if the system has become resistant to that, it's not because the system is doing things lawfully, it's because the system has, has convinced the people that the elections are no longer theirs. This is the two different frames. And I'll speak to someone who is watching and says, Boomer bait. Listen, folks, I don't insult boomers. I'm saying that this is the programming going on in people's heads. If you take offense whenever I say boomer bait because you're a boomer, don't take offense personally. Recognize the world has narratives that have been bombarding you for decades and the narratives that I call boomer bait is me saying that's designed to manipulate you because your way of thinking has been molded and trained for decades as my way of thinking is being molded and trained for narratives that I'm susceptible to. This is not an offense. This is not an insult. But this is, I would say, one of the hazards of being in this age right now is that if you come from a previous era, if you are older than me and you grew up before the internet, you're not used to being bombarded with all these various messages, which means you retreat to what you think you know. And if what you think you know is, well, this is a good country and this is a legitimate election and uh, you know all these other things, investigate, confirm. And if the shoe don't fit, don't wear it. Okay, It's this idea that if the elections belong to the people, then the elections really should be what the people want and not what the government is trying to force down their throats. This is the predicate of Operation Josiah, commonlawpeople.com slash Josiah, commonlawpeople.com slash Josiah. There it is right there on the screen. But remember the Agent Smith effect. Because I already had someone in chat. That's what I was doing. I was responding. Someone in chat had an Agent Smith effect. The Agent Smith effect was, I said Boomer Bain, and they just jumped. Agent Smith come up. Agent Smith comes up and says, Agent Smith goes, they're making fun of your generation. Defend your generation. Why? Why defend your generation? Are you your generation? I'm not my generation. I'm Jaren. I'm not my generation. So Agent Smith reared his head in chat. This is what's going to happen. I'm about to play a clip. It involves Carrie Lake. It involves her talking about her elections. 
I've been leading all the way up this to show Agent Smith pop up because Agent Smith will pop up. If Boomer Bates getting people, Agent Smith is absolutely going to get people when they start to see the analysis on Carrie Lake. Watch this. Well, I think what, what a judge has to do is show the courage to make a very bold ruling, which is look at the evidence and say, yes, there was maladministration, malice, fraud, however you want to word it. And we have to set Maricopa County aside. Those results we have to set aside because all of these things, all of these laws broken, all of these procedures ignored, uh, we have to set that aside. You can either set it aside and then count the state without Maricopa County, or you can a judge could say, we want to redo in Maricopa County. And this time you have to follow the law and the procedures. So there's a, a couple of different ways they could do it. Or the judge could just say, Hobbs is not duly elected based on the evidence here. It requires courage. It requires opening a Pandora's box. We're living in unprecedented times, and it requires unprecedented measures. However, I should say, this is not unprecedented in Arizona. Back in, I believe it was 1917, there was a uh, fraud sitting in the governor's office who was not duly elected, and the duly elected governor fought that in court. It took a full year, and the, ju the judge, the, the uh, courts finally ruled that the um, the person sitting in the governor's office was not truly the governor. They removed that person and they put in place the duly elected governor. It has happened and it's happened in Arizona before. Let's let's examine. The first thing she says, mal she says maladministration, malice or fraud or however you want to define it. Those are three separate things. Maladministration is what I'm arguing in Operation Josiah. It's what my teacher, Dave Jose, has been arguing for years. Maladministration comes from the foothold of the people are in charge of all things. Fraud and malice come from the idea that the government is required to solve problems. Those are crimes. Those speak to intent. Maladministration just says, you suck at your job, and because I'm the boss, fix it two different perspectives. Now this is where the Agent Smith effect will come up. The Agent Smith effect will pop up in defense of Carrie Lake because she has been anointed by MAGA Nation to be the next person after Trump. She's been anointed to be the champion for election integrity when, you know, I know firsthand that she got the case after the 2020 election, after the 2022 election, because people changed her status. Dave Jose told her how to change her legal standing and status to get her into the courts. Now her thinking goes further and she starts to point out about the fact that the judge has to be courageous. I believe that that's a false characterization. That is looking at the motive of the judge instead of the truthfulness of the law. Judges have judicial power. Judicial power is only granted to defend rights. Only granted to defend rights. People make government to benefit people by defending their rights. So if government has power, government has been given power by people. So now that the government has power, the government has judicial power that it gives judges. Here's a judge with judicial power. Here's judicial power for a judge. Here's a judicial power for a judge. Any judge is going to have judicial power. That judicial power is only for the defense of rights. It's only for the, the declaration of what the law is. 
And the law in America is the common law. It's the law of the land. We have a constitutional republic. The constitution is the law. There's a maxim that says constitutions and laws precede the judiciary. Which means that the judge isn't making a decision. The judge is saying what the law is. So if you come to the judge and say, we need this judge to be courageous, you're, 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 equiv you're equivocating because you're not saying what the law is. What you're saying is this guy's responsible for making the right judgment. But if you bring the bad, if you bring a wrong argument to the judge, the judge can make the right the judge can make the right decision by declaring the right law because your argument brought to the judge isn't about your rights. It's about some stupid statute or some administrative nuance written by somebody, not a politician, for the purposes of denying the people the power of their elections. So when you come to the government, you're coming as one of the people, not as someone who's a slave to the statutes. This is critical. Because as soon as anyone says, you know, Carrie Lake's going to lose her election. Oh, you're just a doomsayer, black pill. You just don't believe in MAGA. You're whatever. It's like, no, understand what the law is. The law allows for the people in a republic to administer the affairs of government. And by administering the affairs of government, the people with all power can look at what the government does and say, you suck. You've done your job horribly. Fix it. Well, Jen, where does it say that it can do that? Read your state constitutions. When it literally says, most of them say, the people have all political power. And it goes on to say something they can alter, uh, reform. They have the indefeasible right to abolish or change the government at will. At will. You don't need a court. You don't need a governor. You don't need a judge. You don't need a statute. You don't need the legislature. You can do it by right. And this is what's been hidden. This is what's not been told. And when, when people like Carrie Lake hear this stuff, and she doesn't say this stuff, it makes people like me who know this stuff, I'm suspicious. Because it's like, what are you doing? It's not, it has nothing to do about the courage of the judge. The, cur the judge's courage is not the issue. The issue is the law. And if you're saying, call it maladministration, malice or fraud, whatever you want to call it. No, no, no. Those are three distinct things. Those have three distinct meanings. Three different levels, burdens, hurdles that you have to overcome. Maladministration is a low hurdle. Maladministration is, you did a bad job. Would I be willing to swear to the fact that the people running the elections in Maricopa County 2020-2022 did a bad job? Yup, sure would. I sure would swear to the fact that they've done a horrible job. And I sure would take that entity, that corporate fiction, that county, to court to say, I demand my right to Republican form of government, as law guarantees. Because you've denied it to me by doing ballot stuffing, algorithmic dictations, uh, you know, uh, ballot mules, uh, covering up windows with pizza boxes, having machines count, which is a duty of the, uh, the essence of an election is counting ballots. And if a machine is performing a duty, a machine can't swear an oath to the Constitution. So you, as the county, have contracted with a foreign entity that's performing a function that's not sworn to the Constitution? Are you kidding me? Do you want to be known as a traitor, or did you just you're just too stupid to do your job like which one is it people don't think like this which is why we have the nation we have which is why i'm so glad that we have the song of uh richmond north of richmond because now we can bring some sorrow and get back to what the truth is This last little bit I want to talk about is Vivek Ramaswamy. And I said that name horrible. It's not because I disrespect it. It's just, it's, I'm just, I'm not Indian and I don't speak names like that. So Vivek 
Vivek say that. He's smart, he's smooth. I want to play this and I want to analyze this from a biblical perspective. Go ahead. I was just wondering, um, what were your opinions on the LGBTQ Well, I don't think it's one community. Really? Yeah. I mean, how could it be? You just mash together an alphabet soup. Trans is fundamentally intention with gay, if you ask me. But what's your opinion? I'm personally a pansexual, so I was okay. just wondering what your views on same-sex couples were. I don't have a negative view of same-sex couples, but I do have a negative view of a tyranny of the minority. So, so I think that in the name of protecting against the tyranny of the majority, and there are times in this country's history where we have had a tyranny of the majority, we have now, in the name of protecting against tyranny of the majority, created a new tyranny of the minority. And I think that that's wrong. I don't think that somebody who's religious should be forced to officiate a wedding that they disagree with. I don't think somebody who is a woman who's worked really hard for her achievements should be forced to compete against a biological man in a swim competition. I don't think that somebody who's a woman that respects her bodily autonomy and dignity should be forced to change clothes in a locker room with a man. That's not freedom, that's oppression. And so I believe that we live in a country where free adults should be free to dress how they want, behave how they want, and that's fine. But you don't oppress, you don't become oppressive by foisting that on others. And that especially includes kids, because kids aren't the same as adults. And so I think adults are free to make whatever choices they want, but do not force that ideology onto children before children are in a position as adults to make decisions for themselves. And so I think a lot of the frustration in the country, and if I'm being really honest, that I also share, comes from that new culture of oppression where saying those things can actually get somebody punished. And in my case, it's part of why it's my responsibility to say them. And I respect that you may have a different opinion, and that's okay. Part of what makes our country great is that you and I can be civil and have this conversation and that we live in a country that still gives us, each of us, the right to speak you know, to a presidential candidate and back and still say that we pledge allegiance to the same nation. So I think that's the beauty of our country and that's my honest opinion. Thanks. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you for your civility as well. I appreciate it. Boy, he's hard not to like. Um, there's a lot of good stuff there. Uh, and, and I'll tell you, um, my wife went to college with him. Like, my wife knows him and knew him in college. And so she has stories of him and Zuckerberg and a couple other people she went to uh, college with. So I've known, well, I haven't known, but she has known Vivek since, you know, back in the day. Um, so based on what she has said and things that she remembers it's 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 hard for me to look at this and be like you know he's shrewd he's very shrewd i'll just put it that way um but he says some things in here that i really like and he says some things in here or he doesn't say some things in here that i really wanted him to say the first issue the pansexual reporter this is sin Vivek is not a Christian, and so he's not coming to this with a Christian worldview, which I don't believe is, um, again, your worldview matters. You don't have to be a Christian to run for office. Article 6, Section 3 of the Constitution says no religious test will be uh, uh, applied. So you don't have to be a Christian to be in public office. I, I believe we've had presidents, state senators. I mean, there's people right now that are openly not Christian. So we've got all sorts of people from all different races or uh, all different uh, creeds and belief systems and stuff. So that's that's part of it. By the way, that only happens in a Christian nation. It's only a Christian nation that allows for the free exercise of other worldviews and other faiths. 
every other nation that's not a Christian nation, they would kill or persecute those positions or not allow them to get to positions of power. So that's just a blunt truth. The other thing is that a Christian would should say, I, I should say, the Bible would say that if someone's coming up to you asking you about the LGBTQ community, I liked his answer to say it's not a community, which breaks up the entity. That's, that's great. That's a smart, shrewd, you know, uh, adaptive way to think. The critical way to think is that's sin. That's sin. This is sinful. I don't want a group that's known by its sin to become a political hegemon. And I surely don't want that group known by a sexual or known for sinning. Like it's, it, it, it literally identifies as sin. I don't want sin to become predominant in politics, even though that's, I mean, that's going to be, uh, I mean, like, that's the quest, right? That's the quest of Christian nationalism, to get the nations to obey. But Vivek misses the point by not calling it sin. He does a great job of giving a political answer. He does a great job of saying that minors shouldn't have that ideology, ideology thrust on them. Well, there's maxims to speak to that. The law shouldn't be a detriment to a minor. Well, why? Well, because the law has understood, the Christian worldview understands that children are children. And that if you pervert them and influence them the wrong way for evil or for not God when they're young, you're going to be training them to live the way that they will likely be when they get older. Which is why Deuteronomy 6 tells us to train our children the way that we should, uh, you know, train our children in the Lord. Raise them and be diligent in the scriptures. But the difference I want to point out between myself and Vivek here is, I mean, it just it like, he does a great answer. The great answer about freedom and and uh, having competing worldviews, the notion of civility in that conversation, I think that's great. I absolutely support that. And I say that understanding that just a few minutes later I was juxtaposing the the heckling, the veto's heckler against DeSantis with uh, the Trump people. But this one-on-one -on -one conversation with two you know, disagreeing people was civil. And that's good. That's respectful. But I want people to say what sin is call sin sin he did a good job of denying the predicate that the lgbt community was a community he dashed it he denied it by saying they're not a community he says they're basically mostly homosexual or something to that effect so he denied the premise which i thought was great that any anytime you can deny somebody's premise especially if their premise is flawed is good because as rush limbaugh said if you accept the premise you lose the debate but his premise is not Christian. He's not a Christian. And because he's not a Christian, he doesn't come at it with a biblical view. So whenever he's presented an issue of sin and, you know, in essence of salvation, he omits the gospel. So he's not there. He's not having that conversation to, to lead people to Christ. As a Christian, everything that you should be doing should be about Jesus. Everything, whether in word or deed, do all things to the glory of God. Whether if it's eating or drinking, we do all things to God's glory. And that's the distinction, is that Christians need to get to the position where they are speaking in love the truth about the Bible, the truth about the gospel, the truth about Jesus Christ. Vivek's smart. He's shrewd. He's a smooth operator. Um, there's a lot that I agree with him there. He's not a Christian. And when people who are dead in their sin come up and ask you about being dead in their sin, they're not going to say, I'm dead in my sin. Can you please talk to me about that? But the Christian should always be on the lookout, head on the swivel for whatever the Holy Spirit brings up into their area so that they can engage targets according to 
according to the scriptures, according to the gospel. So I like how they both were civil, and I agree, and I, I like how she couldn't get really mad with his calm, soft-spoken, easy delivery. That was incredibly disarming, incredibly uh, you know influential, and very, very good. But imagine if he would have brought her that message of salvation. Imagine if he would have brought her and said, you know, I, I understand that you have the choice to do what you're doing. And I understand that you appreciate and you think that what you're doing is right. Um, I love you. I disagree with you. And because I love you, I believe in my faith that we all need to come to Christ in order to be, in, in, in order to be made right with him. And that if we're not with Christ, then we will die in our sin. And that this world, this life right now is going to be the best one you get. Because hell is forever. And it's forever because when we sin, we sin against God first. And right now, what you want, what makes you feel good, what makes you think that you, you're right, is actually against what God says. And it's not because God's hateful. It's because he wants what's best for you. And what's best for you is to look to Jesus who when he lived a sinless perfect life was was killed on the cross by his you know he was betrayed by his own people given over to other people to die a vicious horrible death on the cross so that when he died on the cross he actually took my place he was buried and 3 days later he physically rose from the grave that's a story that is true that is literally the hinge of all history and the hinge of history comes down to the fact that God so loved us that he put himself in the way so that he could save us from ourselves, but also from the guarantee of the punishment that what happens when you go against the king. We've all sinned. We've all gone against the king. I am not a homosexual. I'm not a LGBTQ person. I'm not you and you're not me. My sins are not that, but my sins are dangerous. They are, they are deadly. They're lethal. And you might not have the sins I have. I don't have this sin that you have. But when we meet at the foot of the cross, we are equal. We are equal because we both recognize we both deserve that eternal torment. We both recognize that only Jesus and his shed blood washes away that sin. And we both recognize that only his physical resurrection guarantees that everything that he said was true. If you can believe the Big Bang, if you can believe that people come from monkeys, if you can believe that the unnatural sexual depravity that's going on is good and right, believing the most historical, influential figure in all of history is true. It's not that hard. Unless you love your sin more than you love him. And that's the issue. Believe the gospel, my friends. Appreciate you watching. Thank you for your time. The best way that you can support me is to go to patriotswitch.com slash Jaren. Patriotswitch.com slash Jaren. Take the shopping that you're already doing and switch it over to an American-made company. Benefits myself, my family, keeps our, my work going, but it also allows you to put your money where your mouth is, allows you to do war with your bullets. This American manufacturing company offers all sorts of products, over 450. They're not the same labels that you see in Walmart or Amazon or whatever, but they are American-made, 
price competitive and many t- times better because they don't use all the harmful chemicals and stuff like that. Go check it out, patriotswitch.com slash Jaren. Someone like myself or me will call you and walk you through it. It's an invitation. If you don't want the invitation, no harm, no foul. It's not a pressure situation. If you if you do it and you're like, eh, I don't really want to do this, I'm out. Okay, cancel anytime. No extra cost, no hassle. No one's going to try to twist your arm. No one's going to try to sell you anything. No one's going to say you have to go do anything. It's simply taking your dollars uh, away from the godless commies and putting it to an American manufacturing company. And that link is patriotswitch.com slash Jaren, patriotswitch.com slash Jaren. There's also the initiative of the Air Roasted Coffee. If you can take coffee and turn that into Bibles being distributed throughout America, that would happen at humblewb.coffee. Air Roasted Coffee is air roasted and not drum roasted. A drum, imagine a metal drum, a metal barrel. You put your coffee beans in it, you set it on fire, and you turn it around. The hot metal in the exhaust actually creates you know, chemicals and stuff on the beans that they then have to set aside to the other side. To the contrary, air roasted is the bean is on a cushion of air, never, never comes into contact with hot metal, and is perfectly done because the precision of the thermometer of the temperature is such where you get a perfect roast every single time, which is why you don't get that exhaust, bitter, horrible flavor from air roasted coffee that you do with drum roasted coffee. It's a completely different experience because it's a completely different product. It's the way that God designed coffee, which is straight from the straight from the tree, air roasted, and then right into your cup. Amen. Uh, that's it. Humblewb.coffee. Humblewb.coffee. Appreciate your time. There's other opportunities to support me. There's also the Common Law Materials, the Common Law Seminar, Get Lawful Elections at Operation Josiah, the Red Barn Presentation. Watch that Red Barn presentation. If you're misunderstanding things, if things that I said about you know the Carrie Lake stuff, whenever you're coming with malice uh, and fraud versus maladministration, the difference there is I think about myself as one of the people. Carrie Lake and politicians and the people that want to keep you in the hamster wheel, not saying that she's doing it on purpose, but the effect of modern politics is to keep you on the hamster wheel. Watch the Red Barn presentation. I will walk you. I will show you the book that shows that you are one of the people and that status and standing in the law is so much more powerful than anything else that anybody has taught you. And then you got to think, why have people not taught me this? Because once you understand it, you now know the government doesn't control you. Appreciate your time. Lord willing, we'll be back tomorrow. My name is Jaron Jackson. I do love America. Don't quit. Go to war.